probably hasn't been a subject that I've preached on in a long time that bothered me more than this one. In preparing for it, it's been very, very difficult to come to grips with what the Bible teaches and to take that and turn it into application in situations where maybe a loved one has taken their own life and the family's left to pick up the pieces. But still, we're going to try to do our best tonight to look at the elephant in the room this evening, which is, which is suicide. I don't know if you know the name William Cowper. If you pay attention to the songs on the screen and look at who composed or arranged or wrote the song at the bottom in very small letters, sometimes you see the name William Cowper. He produced a lot of the hymns that we sing. And William Cowper was one who really struggled with deep depression in his life. His most famous song was entitled, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And part of that song reads, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his word in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Now, that sounds like someone who believes, has faith, and trusts in God no matter what the circumstance. But the truth of the matter is, is that William Cowper spent most of his life battling darkness. He had tried to kill himself once with a penknife, but it broke. He tried to stab himself in the heart with it. He tried to hang himself with a garter, and it slipped off the nail. He was consigned to a, to a mental asylum for 18 months. When he got out, he met a man by the name of John Newton. Recognize that name? John Newton wrote the song Amazing Grace. He was also a pretty well-known minister. And the two of them got together and decided to put together their brains to come up with some church hymns and to compile them and put them in a book. Of course, John Newton's most famous work was Amazing Grace, and William Cowper's was God Moves in a Mysterious Way. William Cowper really benefited from the instruction and the mentoring of John Newton. So you'd think that'd be the end of the story, happy ending, right? No, unfortunately, William Cowper lived out the rest of his life in and out of mental institutions dealing with deep, dark depression. And there are many people in our world that do, many people that struggle the same way that he did, but yet are successful in killing themselves. They're successful in taking their own life, unfortunately. And that's a sensitive subject to us. We don't like talking about it. And I'm not so sure that it's an elephant in the church because, because we don't like talking about it as much as we don't really know what to say. I'm not sure that we always understand the ins and outs of suicide. It's such a sensitive topic. We don't really know what to say, so we avoid saying anything at all. But I do think that we need to talk about it, especially in this day and age where suicide seems to be glorified more than ever. The television shows glorifying suicide. We have the news media glorifying suicide and even renaming it and calling it something more socially acceptable like euthanasia. But folks, we have to come to grips with what the Bible has to say on any and every topic. And certainly I want to do that this evening. You know, one minister said it this way, is suicide a sin? Yes. Is it wrong? Yes. Does it break the sixth commandment? Yes. Will it send you to hell? No. Because not even suicide itself is stronger than the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. 
Okay, but that's a little confusing. Because I can apply that to any sin, can I? I can apply that to any situation. So that doesn't really answer it either. The question of why is one that we always, I think, struggle with when it comes to this issue. But even more than why is where. Where do our loved ones who took their own life spend eternity? Is it away from God or not? There are two extremes to this issue. There's the one extreme that says suicide is self-murder. You go to hell, end of discussion. The other side of that is you're never in your right mind when you do something like that to begin with. Therefore, you can't be held accountable for it, so you don't end up in hell. And as always, I think the truth lies somewhere in between there. I think there are situations that we have to consider that maybe mental illness played a factor, or perhaps medication, something of that nature. Nevertheless, here's what we see in the Bible. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 31, starting in verse 4, we have a case of suicide. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. And therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. So here we have a case of suicide, actually two cases. You know, in 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 18, we find that Zimri, the king of Terza, committed suicide. Once he sees that the city was besieged by Omri and the people of Israel, he goes into the citadel of the king's house and he sets fire to it, killing himself in the process. Of course, maybe the most scriptural, most famous scriptural case of suicide is found with Judas. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went out and he hanged himself. Verse 3 indicates that Judas felt at least some remorse that he had betrayed Jesus. I personally don't think that Judas ever thought it would go to that end. And once it did, he felt some remorse. But in John 17 and 12, it makes it clear that Judas died lost. Because that phrase, son of perdition, is applied to Judas here, and it is a Hebrew idiom used for destined to perish or doomed to eternal misery. Here's the thing. We know what the Bible says about murder. We know that murder is condemned both in the Old and New Testament. And suicide is murder. No getting around that. It is self-murder, but it's murder nonetheless. Whether we're talking about the murder of someone else or ourselves, we're talking about killing a gift from God. Acts 17.25 tells us that He, God, gives life to all. Life is a gift from God. We were made in the image of God and no one. No one has the right to destroy that which was given by the Creator and made in His image. Genesis 9 and 6 reads, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. The shedding of innocent blood is an assault upon the image of God in man. And it's interesting to note that the Jewish rabbis would use this verse to forbid suicide. Being pro-life also extends beyond life in the womb. We always talk about Christians being pro-life and how we should be pro-life. And we talk about the sanctity of human life. That applies to everyone, all people everywhere, not just the unborn. You realize that, right? All life is important. All life is viable and valuable because we were all created in the image of God. 
Remember that Jesus taught you are to love your neighbor as who? Yourself. Remember Paul talked about how that the, the, the head of the church and the head of, of the home was to be was to be man, and he was to be he was to be the spiritual leader in his household, the spiritual leader in the church. And it says that he is to love his wife as his own body. You know, the implication is that we should love ourselves to a certain degree, not to a point to where we are so self-loving that we idolize ourselves, of course, or that we are consumed with pride, but we do have an obligation to love that which God created. You know, according to Kinshiro Ohara, Japan's leading authority on the subject of suicide, self-murder is evidence of sincerity. When a Japanese mother decides to kill herself, she will usually kill her children first. And this act is deemed as honorable, since children are considered parts of their parents, and to leave them motherless would be cruel. Not long ago, a man by the name of Bob Ulrich walked into his wife's hospital room, pointed a gun at her head, and pulled the trigger, killing her instantly because he believed that she suffered from cancer and that it would be a prolonged battle. He wanted to put her out of her misery. It was discovered through tests that she didn't have cancer, but he thought he was doing something honorable. We know the infamous Jack Kevorkian, also known as Jack the Dripper. He claimed that he had assisted at least 130 patients in killing themselves, although he called it patient-assisted euthanasia. A few years back, a young lady by the name of Brittany Maynard made the headlines because she moved to Oregon to take advantage of a state law that allowed one to commit suicide without any repercussions from the family or anything like that. She brought a pill with her, and she took that pill, killing herself because she was suffering from a brain tumor or brain cancer. The Netflix show... 13 Reasons Why has come under fire for glamorizing suicide. Psychologists are concerned that it could inspire deadly copycat behavior. Netflix has included a warning at the beginning of their show. Thank you for that, right? But we have a culture now that is glorifying suicide, whether it's through television means, whether it's through the media, whatever it may be, and I'm concerned about that. Because we're looking at suicide now in a way that perhaps we haven't before. When it was taboo in our culture, not just in the church, now it's more pervasive. And it's being treated like it's something honorable. But the Bible doesn't treat it that way. The Bible treats it as self-murder. Suicide is the tenth leading cause of death in the United States. Each year, 44,193 Americans commit suicide. On average, there are 121 suicides per day. In 2015, white males accounted for 7 out of 10 suicides. The suicide rate is highest in the middle-aged white man. According to Kristen Holland, a behavioral scientist for the Center for Disease Control, multiple factors contribute to the increasing suicide rate, with mental health only being one of them. Things like the economic recession in the late 2000s and the increase in substance abuse are two of the factors that she points to. But here's what I found interesting. She quotes this. She says, many people view suicide as a mental health problem, but many people who die of suicide do not have a mental health problem. It's a public health problem. I was discussing this topic with 
my priest many, many years ago, and I asked him, what do you think about suicide? Where do people who commit suicide go when they die? And he said, I think they go to heaven because I don't think anyone is in the right mind when they commit suicide. Everyone across the board who commits suicide has some sort of mental issue or else they wouldn't do what they did. Kristen Holland, at least, is one psychologist saying, that's not always the case. In fact, most of the time, that's not the case. And I don't know about you, but I don't like that answer. I would rather believe that anyone who commits suicide, like my priest said, goes to heaven because they didn't know what they were doing. That's what I want to believe. That goes down easier. I don't like to hear what Kristen Holland has said. To be honest with you, I, I don't like a lot of the things that I've discovered when studying this topic. But nonetheless, I think we need to confront the issue. And I hope our young people hear me loud and clear because I know they've dealt with this issue just in the last few days. Some of you, some of you in the last few weeks, months, or last few years that you've been in school. And my concern is that the people talking around the issue are not talking about the issue completely. This isn't an option. It should never be an option. That being said, I don't think that we can paint with a broad brush here. And I don't think that we can say that every single case, that this is one-size-fits-all theology. You can disagree with me on that, but I have said before, the Bible is black and white, but it's also gray in some areas. And I'll argue with, it, with you on that over and over again, because I think there's some areas where we just don't have a, thus says God, right? People say, show me book, chapter, and verse. You can't do that for everything. You just can't. And when it comes to doctrinal matters, I think they're pretty well black and white. But there are some things where we get into some gray, and it's hard to decipher. Maybe this is one of them, but I, I think that there's some factors that play into some suicides that we're just going to have to leave it up to the righteous judge to figure it out. And like Abraham, I think he reached the conclusion eventually uh, in saying that you're the righteous judge, whatever you do is fine. I think we've got to come to that conclusion as well in some of these things that we're talking about. And definitely when it comes to suicide, I don't think that we can always generalize. Because there are folks who have a chemical imbalance. There are people who are dealing with deep, dark depression. And if you've never dealt with that, I don't think we have any right to tell them how they should be dealing with it, right? I mean, sometimes it's so deep and dark that it's very difficult to pull them out of it or to, to even find them help. Some of the medications that are handed out today have a side effect, which is may cause suicidal thoughts. I don't know how that's going to be handled in eternity, but I have a hard time believing that the righteous judge is going to hold someone accountable to a standard when their mind was so convoluted that they couldn't discern. But here's the thing. I don't think that's the case across the board either. I think that's in some cases, but I also think that we can't use that as a cop-out when we talk about this subject because the Bible does tell us some things that are black and white. That life is a gift from God. And to take that life is self-murder. Human beings have been given the responsibility of serving God, Ecclesiastes 12 and 13. As our maker, 
God is worthy of our service, Psalm 18 and 3. We were created to glorify God, Isaiah 43 and verse 7. We were also created to serve others just as our Lord went about doing good, Acts 10 and 38. So we too should be willing to assist all men, Galatians 6 and 10. None of us live, lives for himself, Romans 14 and 7. Suicide assumes a sort of autonomy that man is the source of his own law. In fact, the Greek Stoic Seneca once defended suicide as an aspect of man's lordship over his own life. Of course, the Bible teaches that we are not our own boss, that someone else is in control of our lives. This life is bigger than us. All of us were created for a purpose, which is to glorify God. We were created in His image and for His purpose, and no person has the intrinsic right to destroy what has been given by the eternal source of life, unless, of course, He is authorized by the Lord to do so. Leviticus 20 and verse 2. My mother, her best friend, committed suicide. Sharon was a very sweet lady. She was a member of the church. She had gone through several failed marriages, of which we're pretty sure there was abuse, physical abuse. Her finances had gotten out of control, and she was in a lot of debt, and she decided that the best thing to do would just be to kill herself. And my mother is the one who found her. And I can remember my mom and I talking about this, and apparently Sharon had gone to church that Sunday, and the topic was suicide. And I have no idea what the preacher preached that day, and I certainly don't mean to place any judgment toward him, because I don't know. But she walked away from it. Whatever she heard was that it's okay. Or at least it's not as detrimental to your eternal fate as she thought it once was. And so she committed suicide. And I can remember my mother saying something that I thought was very interesting at the time. She said, I don't know how Sharon could be so selfish to do something like this. And I thought to myself, that's an interesting way to put it. I've heard that several times since then. But I think that's, that's what makes suicide so difficult and what makes it different than any other death. Is that, you know, our, our spouse, our child, a loved one can, can be killed in an accident. And, and while that is tragic, while that is catastrophic, suicide is different in a way. Because it leaves us with so many more questions. You know, why? What? Why would they do this to themselves? Could we have done something? Why didn't I notice the signs? Why didn't I pay more attention? I should have said something. If they would have just told me that they were hurting, right? I mean, we are left to pick up the pieces, and picking up those pieces, I think, are, are probably harder than picking up any other pieces associated with death. So what do we do? Much of what we talk about is reactive. How do we become proactive in this? Well, I think the first thing that we need to do is that we need to demonstrate that there is a better life. And there is. You know that there is. There is a better life. It sounds so cliche. It sounds so trite. But the best life is a life lived in Christ. And that, of course, doesn't mean that Jesus cures all of your problems. Some people have so many deep, deep-seated problems that, that take something more than just maybe trite little sayings. But... Living by example, I think, can be a great way to help people to understand that there is a better life. I do think that we can cope better in life when we have God on our side. A life lived in Christ helps us to deal with things that we cannot change. Remember Paul's words in Philippians 4, 4-7, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. 
and again I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We tend to look at Paul like he was superhuman. Do you not think that Paul dealt with despair? Maybe even bouts of depression in his life? I don't know for sure, but I, I certainly could see how. You think he was just always sitting in prison with a smile on his face, whistling a tune? I think he had his moments. But Paul teaches us something very valuable, and that is the best life is the one lived in Christ, that there is, there is always hope. And that's another thing that I would that I would suggest as far as being proactive is that we always need, a pe need to be a people that are about hope, always. You know, I think that we can get down ourselves, and that's easy to do, but I think, like we talked about last week, we can get down on the church and down on Christianity. We need to be a people of hope. We need to be expressing joy and hope for being in Christ to people around us, and who knows who that might help. We never know what people are dealing with or who we may come in contact with that is really struggling. The gospel is good news for a reason, because it is a message of hope. Our message should be very similar to what we see on the Statue of Liberty. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. We're the lamp. We are illuminating Christ. We illuminate that message of hope that is found in the good news. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So for those who are so weighed down and burdened by this life that they feel they can't go on, there is hope. Hope in him and hope in his people. If you know anything about tennis, you probably know the name Boris Becker. He was at the very top of the tennis world, yet he was on the brink of suicide. He said, I had won Wimbledon twice, once as the youngest player ever. I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed. It's the old song of movie stars and pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything, and yet they are so unhappy. He says, I had no inner peace. I was a puppet on a string. Becker, of course, is not the only one to feel this way. The echoes of a hollow life pervade our culture. And one doesn't have to read many contemporary biographies to find the same kind of story, the same kind of frustration and disappointment. Jack Higgins, author of such successful novels as The Eagle Has Landed, was asked what he would like to have known as a boy. And you know what his answer was? That when you get to the top, there's nothing there. Solomon had something to say about that, right? The wise Solomon, who went against his wisdom there for a while and chased after the wind. In the end, he concluded that all of it is vanity. It's a striving after the wind because the only thing that's really important in life is to, is to obey God, to serve him, to, to live out his commandments. If we could just stop putting all the emphasis on this life and understand that there is something bigger, and I know that's easy to say and hard to do, and I know that there are folks who have struggled 
mightily with depression and things of that nature. I know that psychologists tell us that the front lobe of the brain that really affects our decision-making is the last thing to develop in a human being. And so we talk about young children or young people who commit suicide, and can we really hold them accountable? Look, folks, I don't know all the ins and outs, okay? And part of tackling this series of elephants in the church leads me to understand just how inept I am in answering some of these things. Here's what I do know, or at least I think I know. Today, you've heard me say that before. Here's where I stand today. I I reserve the right to change my mind. Murder is murder even if it's taking your own life. Self-murder is still murder. And obviously that's a sin. Can we paint with a broad brush here and say that every case of suicide is condemnable? I don't know that we can. When we consider some of the factors that play into it. But here's what I also know. There's nothing honorable here. There's nothing that is brave about this. Nothing that we should be glorifying in our culture. And I hope that we will take that to heart. But I also hope that we will be a people who strive to get involved in the lives of others to the point that we want to help them, that we want to give them hope, and that we want to do everything possible to meet their need. We should be a people of hope, and we should be expressing a message of hope constantly. I don't know what you're dealing with tonight, but one thing that makes this lesson difficult and yet encouraging to me is that somebody may be hearing it that is dealing with something in their life that has got them on the brink of depression. So if we can help you, don't leave here without seeking help. I tell folks all the time that come by and see me for counseling that I am not a licensed counselor. I think that I can help you spiritually, but I'm also smart enough to know when I've reached my limit. We use the services of of folks in our community that are much better trained than I am. We can get you the help that you need. But if if it's a spiritual demon that you're fighting if you're just if if you're fighting sin if you're if you're on the brink of giving up because you have really just fought and fought this whatever this is in your life that you can't seem to get past let us help you with that and if you hadn't started your daily walk with god then what's holding you back as we say every week don't leave here without being right with god I'm leaving tomorrow morning at 6 in the morning to drive to Perigold, Arkansas to baptize my father. And I cannot tell you how exciting that is. And I prayed and prayed that my father would have somebody come into his life or have something happen to him that would wake him up. Who would have known a heart attack is exactly what God ordered. And then I'm finding out over and over all these things that God has his hand in. I'm finding out he had a a gentleman who was a friend that had been working with him, a member of the church there in Arkansas. I I found that his surgeon is a member of the church and and has really taken him in and, and shown him love and compassion. God still works. 
Let him work in your life. And if you need the prayers and support of this church family tonight, whatever your need is, let us help you. But don't leave here without hope. Come now as we stand and as we sing.